evening, everyone. Hello. Welcome to our uh, Monday, September 24th, regular Board of the Education. Uh, our first item is the Pledge of Allegiance, and I'll invite Dr. Brittany Gonzer to come forward from Ryan Benninghoven, who will bring forward those that will be helping us with the Pledge of Allegiance tonight. Welcome. And everyone else can please stand. Great, thank you very much. And we'll have Dr. Gonzer introduce our guest today. Thank you very much for having us. These are members of the Student Council from Ryan. Thank you them for being here this evening and their families as well who came to support them. Um, and you have lots of future students who are excited to maybe attend class for one day. So thank you very much for having us. Have a nice evening. Thank you. They were certainly welcome to stay, but I think have chosen otherwise. Thank you again to the students of Ryan Benninghoven. With that, we'll move to item B, which is the adoption of the agenda. So moved. Thank you, Mrs. Mack. Second. Thank you, Mrs. Zila. All those in favor of adopting the agenda presented for this evening, please say aye. 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 Opposed, nay. That passes 7-0. With that, we move to item C, which is the approval of the minutes. The first minutes will be of the special meeting September 12th. So moved. Thank Second. you, Mrs. Goodburn. Second. Thank you, Dr. Sinclair. All those in favor of approving the minutes, please say aye. 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 Those opposed, nay. That passes 7-0. We move on to the uh, regular meeting of September 12th. Seek a motion to approve those minutes of that meeting. So moved. Thank you, Mrs. Owsley. Second. Thank you, Mrs. Goodburn. All those in favor, please say aye. 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 Those opposed? That passes 7-0. And with that, we move on to item D, which is the uh, superintendents and board members' reports. And I turn to Dr. Fulton for his report. Thank you very much, Mr. Stratton. Well, we have a number of good news notes tonight. We want to start with Dow Tate, who teaches journalism at Shawnee Mission East High School. Uh, Mr. Tate's going to be honored by the Roy H. Park School of Communications at Ithaca College. He will be presented with the S. Park Media Mentor Award this October, which is given to educators who demonstrate a commitment to, quote, igniting a passion for media among students, end quote. Uh, Mr. Tate was selected for the honor after a nationwide search, so congratulations to him. We also have a number of homecomings that have been occurring most recently. Shawnee Mission South hosted their fourth homecoming parade on September 21st. Shawnee Mission North and East are finished with their homecoming parades. This week we have Shawnee Mission West and the following week Shawnee Mission Northwest. So congratulations to all the schools in celebrating their homecomings or, or opening day game events. The Board of County Commissioners of Johnson County invited Connie Springfield, Associate Principal, and several students from Shawnee Mission Northwest to join them as they signed a proclamation this month. The county formally recognized September 15th to October 15th as Hispanic Heritage Month. Ed Albert, Board Chairman, 
presented the proclamation to uh, Connie Springfield and thanked her for the work she does in the community and as an educator. So we thank the, uh, both staff and students for their work on that initiative. We also want to announce that we have a culinary homecoming at the Broadmoor Bistro, the eighth annual culinary homecoming dinner on October 2nd. will feature alumni chef Elise Landry. Landry is a 2010 graduate of Broadmoor. Her menu will feature big flavors from around the world highlighting her travels. So we look forward to that on October 2nd. Also, last Friday, the city of Lenexa donated a fire truck to our Project Blue Eagle program. So it's very exciting. You'll get a fire truck every day. <laughs> the board will, uh, at a future meeting, vote on legally accepting the fire truck. And we're so thankful for the city of Lenexa for uh, helping our students <coughs> as they pursue their career pathway. We want to take a moment and recognize our Kansas Teacher of the Year nominees. So would Stephen Wiley, principal at Arrowhead Day School, Please come to the podium to introduce our first nominee, Kathy Sheridan. Um, thank you very much. We are very honored at Arrowhead Day School to have recognized Kathy Sheridan. Um, I've been in education for over 26 years, and when I came to Shawnee Mission, starting with it, working with the special ed population, um, you know, one of the people that stood out for me was Kathy working at another elementary school. She's worked with so many different types of kids in special ed, um, such a variety of kids um, from kindergarten to sixth grade. And you know what stands out is when somebody has a passion for those challenging kids, the ones that just, it's just not working quite right. And how do you find that, that special thing within, within each kid? That's Kathy's strength. It was an honor for me to nominate her <clears throat> and such a great honor for her to get recognized by the Shawnee Mission School District. Um, so with that... Knock, knock, point, wiggle, wiggle, wiggle. Knock, knock, point, wiggle, wiggle, wiggle. I nominated Kathy for Kansas Teacher of the Year. I just knew that everything she does for both in the classroom and in the building and for the district is the perfect representation of uh, an outstanding Kansas teacher. I've been working with Kathy Sheridan for about a year and a half now as a para. I'm really fortunate to work in her classroom. I've learned the different programs that we teach with the kids. I've learned, you know, different skills to get the kids, you know, to come back and join our community in our classroom. I've learned different sensory processing with them and how each kid's different and uh, different ways to work. I was very excited when I found out that Kathy Sheridan was nominated for Kansas Teacher of the Year. This is my first year as a para and to be able to be in her classroom and observe her is phenomenal and her interactions with the students is amazing. That's using your flexible thinking. When things change, you can go with it. You can think, all right, but this is our group plan and this is what we follow and think about during our group. A fun, energetic, caring teacher. She's a great teacher, and I really like her. Way to go, Kathy. Just keep up the good work. You're an outstanding teacher. You deserve it more than anybody in this district, and we are so proud of you here at Arrowhead. Congratulations, Miss Kathy. 
Thank you for all your hard work to all of us students. Let me introduce Kathy Sheridan. My glasses, I'm getting old. <laughs> I'd like to start out by thanking Jackie Chapman for having the vision to start the day school program here in Shawnee Mission to meet the needs of all students in the district and offer a continuum of services to students with behavior needs. I would like to express my sincere gratitude to Mr. Stephen Wiley, the principal of Arrowhead, not only for nominating me to represent Arrowhead as the Kansas Teacher of the Year for the district, but also for all of the unbelievable work that he does at Arrowhead. He's he has an incredible understanding of the challenges that the students the families, the educators, the therapists, and all other professional service providers face when providing these kinds of services and in this kind of a setting. He is the person to lead Arrowhead. I would also like to recognize and thank all the teachers, therapists, paraprofessionals at Arrowhead. The two paras that I work in in my classroom that you just saw, Kate Studevin and Lois Penn, I could not do my job without you. Jerry Young, Jamie Pinnell, I could not do my job without you. Mr. Paul Turner, Hannah Streeter, and Kat Jackson, they're our recovery room team. They are outstanding, they are the best. The team of therapists, Ann Langdon, Bobette Saka, Teresa Pereira, our amazing nurse, Ms. Paula Bundy. The elementary school teaching team, Lindsay Atchison, Amy Wright, Jennifer Rosenbaum. The middle school secondary team, Sarah Starforth, Jolene Richardson, Julie Hayford, Patrick Adkins, and Quentin Dougherty. The incredible staff of paras, and I don't know if I've got them all, but I tried. Karen Anderson, Brandy Ratcliffe, Connor Marshall, Kevin Sullivan, Sierra Mo Moses Orr, Bryce Rainey, and Jennifer Flores. They are an amazing team of folks. They are committed and dedicated to helping students with social, emotional, and behavioral challenges. The staff at Arrowhead are incredibly compassionate and they do great things with children every day. I have the privilege to work with this outstanding team of professionals every day and I am proud to be a part of the Arrowhead team. The students I get to work with are among the most spirited, intelligent, and creative and I love working with them. The teacher who inspired me to become a teacher, Mr. Charlie Graham, told me a long time ago, I learned far more from my students than they will ever learn from me. I wish he was here because I understand what he means by that now. I learn every day from my students. Over the years, my students have taught me to view the world differently. They've taught me not to take myself so seriously, to laugh at myself, which was no easy task. When I was 20, I was pretty serious. <laughs> They've taught me never accept the status quo and keep moving forward, even when I'm overwhelmed by struggles. And finally, keep learning and trying new things. I would like to finish by thanking my mom because she taught me the most important lesson. She taught me to persist. When you fall, get back up. When you fail, try again. She raised a child with autism spectrum disorder in the 1970s during the time where moms were blamed. 
no matter how she was blamed, no matter how she was scrutinized, and no matter how she was mistreated, she never gave up. She kept moving forward. I'd like to end with a quote by Martin Luther King Jr. If you can't fly, then run. If you can't run, then walk. If you can't walk, then crawl. But whatever you do, you have to keep moving forward. And Arrowhead is going to keep moving forward. Thank you. Congratulations, Kathy, and, and thank you, Stephen. Now I'd like to invite Steve Lowe, principal at Shawnee Mission West, to introduce us to our second nominee, Ryan Cole. Good evening. It is my pleasure to introduce Ryan Call, science teacher extraordinaire from Shawnee Mission West High School. Ryan has been with us for over 10 years, teaching a variety of courses from physical science to global <coughs> issues to meteorology. He truly makes science come alive for all of his students. Through hands-on labs and investigation-focused lessons, students have no choice but to actively participate using critical thinking skills and creativity. As all good, great teachers, excuse me, do, Ryan understands he is not only teaching science standards, but he also teaches social-emotional skills as well, embedding these seamlessly in um, these essential skills into his content. Yes, he has a heart for science, but more importantly, he has a heart for students. Ryan is the consummate team player and a true servant leader among all of our staff. I've asked Ryan to go above and beyond to attend seminars and facilitate meetings and staff trainings. Without hesitation, he's jumped right in to help. Ryan is one of those special educators who other teachers just gravitate to and truly listen to. He is kind, humble, and genuine. Again, it's my pleasure to introduce Ryan Call, our SMSD secondary nominee for Kansas Teacher of the Year, and I think it's video time. Good morning. Ryan is our Teacher of the Year nominee because all means all. Ryan truly believes in that when he walks in the door, that every student in every class he has will reach their potential, can learn, will learn. Kids around our school love Mr. Call. He's able to provide the type of education for them that is differentiated and lets every student build on their own strengths and talents. Mr. Call, that is the dude. I love him. He, I don't think there's a day that he's ever not happy with his students. He's always kind of just the guy that kind of just infects everybody with happiness. I love the students at West. Here at West, it feels a lot like the high school that I went to. We've got uh, great diversity here we have students from all walks of life and everybody here that comes ready to learn receives a great education he's just open to those new ideas on how to capture the attention of the students and then how to engage them and also how, how do they comprehend that material the first couple of weeks that I was in his class he could tell something was wrong and you know every day he would talk to me he's like what's the matter what's going on and you know I would have tough days but he would always be there to you know help me out and he does it with all of his students he does a phenomenal job of showing the students at West to follow the West way and he's a great role model it's pretty humbling to be perfectly honest I, I get to rub shoulders with some absolutely fantastic educators it kind of makes me want to be better than I am Love you, Mr. Call. You're the man. Congratulations on the nomination. Congratulations, and I'm glad that 
you taught me to respect and care for others and that you put your time forward in every student that you have. Ryan Cole. Awesome. Thank you. Um, First of all, this is awesome. This is truly wonderful. You, in Shawnee Mission School District, there's, uh, you really make educators feel fantastic. I had a, a wonderful time getting to know Kathy through this entire process. She's so well-spoken and does wonderful work with students as well. Um, it's a privilege, like I mentioned in that video, to, to be able to associate with people that love education and love students and the development of human beings. Um, it's a great honor. It truly is. I uh, showed that same video to my kids not too long ago and my youngest daughter, Marley, who's here with us. She, uh, she saw that I was showing it to her on YouTube, uh, and I heard her say later that night, she goes, I had no idea that Dad was famous. <laughs> and I, I haven't burst her bubble yet, so nobody tell her. <laughs> we'll let that misconception ride for a little while. Um, it, is, it really is an honor to be in, um, in, in a job that, that allows me to grow myself and to be with these students on a daily basis, to see them for who they truly are. Uh, I'm truly appreciative of the members of the board, uh, Dr. Fulton, for, for taking the time to get to know me and to visiting so many schools in such a, a short amount of time, and our principal, Steve Lowe, who is truly an inspiring man, who understands that in leadership you inspire, you teach true principles, uh, and then you let people let wonderful things happen, which is exactly what's happening at Shawnee Mission West. It's, it's truly great. Um, I will share you one, with you, you one last thing, um, something that I've always tried to live by. One of my favorite historians and philosophers, I'll let you try and guess who it is, talked about the concept that if you treat people the way that they are, they stay that way. But if you take the opportunity to treat people how they can become, then they become those people, for better or for worse. And I've been truly blessed in my life to be surrounded by wonderful people that have treated me probably much better than I truly am and have allowed me to start to grow into that person that they see me to be. Um, this is a wonderful honor. Thank you very much. All right. Thank you so much and congratulations again to uh, Kathy and Ryan. Finally, uh, I'd like to welcome Debbie Mercer, Dean of Education at Kansas State University, who is going to make a special presentation. I'm okay. <laughs> well, on behalf of Kansas State University and the College of Education, it's a privilege to be here for a few minutes this evening, and I appreciate the opportunity to highlight um, some of our activities of our partnership and then make a special presentation. A handout that I believe you all received goes into detail um, about some of our initiatives this past year. Recently, representatives from Kansas State University had the opportunity to meet Dr. Fulton, and we engaged in a, um, I think, very stimulating dialogue about education in Kansas and some of the challenges and some of the rewards of our profession. And some of you were able to join in that conversation where I went into greater depth on some of the activities in which we've been. Um, mutually engaged, but I'll have, um, I have just a couple of highlights. Our Center for Intercultural and Multilingual Advocacy worked with several buildings this past year, focusing on professional development for your educators
years around culturally responsive pedagogy and biographically driven instruction. And I think a result of that work has led to increased learning gains by your English language learners, so we're very proud of that work. Special education faculty have been working at Arrowhead Day School related to social and emotional um, curriculum and outcomes, and we're looking forward to that continuing. An initial goal of our partnership was to bolster the pipeline of educators into your district, and I believe our innovative professional development school model is doing just that. You have the opportunity to see some of our very best as student teachers, and you've hired a large number of them right into the classroom, and so those are highlighted in the handout that you have as well. Further, research is being conducted about how we're jointly engaging in that work, and this is being shared on a national stage, so it's a wonderful opportunity to really highlight the great things that are happening in Shawnee Mission School District, collectively with a K-State faculty member and your teachers and leaders in Shawnee Mission. And then finally, we have both master's and doctoral cohorts of students working on those degrees. So these are full-time working professionals in your school that are engaged in rigorous programs of study. These groups are led by former superintendents, uh, Dr. Rick Dole and Dr. Mary Devon, and um, Dr. Michael Shoemaker and Dr. Christy Ziegler from right here in Shawnee Mission. In fact, Christy has been our liaison since our partnership really blossomed, and she's just a phone call or a text away, and there have been many of those over the course of the, of the last few years. But that communication between our contact person, Dr. Tani Martinez, and Christy Ziegler has really ensured that our partnership continues moving forward in, in powerful ways. So I have a dual purpose tonight. I also have the distinct honor to present the 2018 UCEA Excellence in Educational Leadership Award to two of your very own. So a few words will lay the foundation for this prestigious leadership award. UCEA is the acronym for the University Council for Educational Administration, which is a consortium of select universities throughout the United States and Canada that infer doctorate degrees in educational leadership and administration. It was first housed at Columbia University in New York as part of a Kellogg-funded grant project and has grown to about 56 institutions, all of which must meet UCEA's membership criteria, which includes evidence that the member's university's education leadership program is one of the very best in the nation. And Kansas State has been a full member of UCEA for 25 years. A few years ago, UCEA observed that most of the national recognition for school improvement and educational leadership was going to people who weren't among the school's officials that were doing the, the work closest to students. So that recognition led to the birth of this particular award, Excellence in Leadership. So beginning in 1996, UCEA began asking member institutions to nominate outstanding school partners who would be measured against high standards used in selecting the award recipients. The criteria were lengthy, but best summed up by UCEA's own words, and I quote, nominees who have made significant contributions to the improvement of administrator preparation and who have demonstrated an exemplary record of supporting school administration preparation efforts. So you know these two individuals well, but please indulge me as I share a couple of highlights. 
Dr. Kenny Southwick spent 34 years serving students in Missouri school districts after graduating from William Jewell College. He served as a social studies teacher, a counselor, you may not know, as a football and baseball coach as well. In 1985, he moved to the central office and was named director of special education. Dr. Southwick spent the next 22 years of his career at the Belton, Missouri School District, serving as director of special education, director of secondary curriculum, and finally 12 years as superintendent of schools. Always focusing on the strategic vision, much was accomplished during his tenure. Two major operating levies and four bond issues were passed, allowing the district's 10-year strategic vision to become a reality. He's most proud of the culture that was developed and the belief that we never give up on any student. That's pretty powerful. He brought that with him to Shawnee Mission School District and has been a driving force in the USD 512 Kansas State University Lead Leadership Academy and the College of Education's many projects in Shawnee Mission School District. The second individual is Dr. Christy Ziegler. She's held many roles, including Director of STEM and Assistant Superintendent of Curriculum and Instruction. She is a proven educational leader with demonstrated excellence in the development, implementation, and management of complex systemic projects. She's been involved in your one-on-one -on -one initiative and the Project Lead the Way launch curriculum, which really was built on community partnerships and engagement. She spent 20 years um, working in a leadership capacity in P-12 education with responsibilities ranging from curriculum, instruction, and assessment, um, to technology systems management and adult professional training and learning. Dr. Ziegler has over 10 years of experience in higher education teaching masters and doctoral courses in educational research, leadership ethics, curriculum and instruction, and technologies to enhance learning. She serves as a professor of practice in the Department of Educational Leadership at Kansas State University, where she co-directs the USD 512 Kansas State University Lead Leadership Academy. So I'll ask Dr. Southwick and Dr. Ziegler to come forward and receive their plaques and our recognition for the impact they're making on our partnership in Shawnee Mission School District and ultimately on behalf of your students. Thank you. We want to thank you for coming and giving these recognitions and congratulations to Dr. Southwick and Dr. Ziegler. Thank you. That concludes the report. All right. Thank you, Dr. Fulton. And again, congratulations, Dr. Southwick and Dr. Ziegler and Dean Mercer. Thank you for making the trip to town and for the partnership that we have with the university. Yes, my thank, you. thank you. Uh, with that, we'll move on to item D, which D2, which is the board reports. And we'll walk through each of these to see if board members have updates for us. I'll turn to Reverend Guy for a SMAC PTA. If there's an update. Yes, I met with their, uh, I believe, executive board uh, last week. And since it was my first time, it was uh, an opportunity for me to get to know the members and for them to get to know me a little bit. And now I know next time to bring a prepared report <laughs> instead of just winging it. Um, so, no, I think it was a great start to a, a good working relationship and get to see kind of the scope of all that SMAC PTA is overseeing. And I 
encourage everybody to get involved in your local PTA. They've got some fundraisers coming up, some uh, nights out at restaurants where some of the money will go back to SMAC PTA. So be looking for all of that information and get involved as you can in that great organization. Great, thank you. And uh, the Shawnee Mission Education Foundation, Mrs. Owsley? Um, the only update there is that the Education Foundation's breakfast is coming up on October, excuse me, October 11th at 7 a.m. at the Overland Park Convention Center. So everyone obviously should be there and have coffee with us. Um, and you will get to hear um, Dr. Fulton's State of the School District address at the breakfast. Great. Thank you. Mrs. Zila, any update on board of directors at KSB? I do not have a per se a board of directors update, but I will point out that um, I want the board to know on October 25th, it's politics and education in Topeka that KASB is hosting, where they will have the three gubernatorial candidates speak to this group. So if you'd like to attend, I'll just have that note and you put that on your calendars. Great. Thank you for that. And uh, Dr. Sinclair, any updates from the uh, legislative and government network with uh, KSB? No, no new information, but I will be driving if anybody wants a ride on October 25th. <laughs> <laughs> Great, thank you. And uh, Mrs. Goodburn, your role already wrapped up for the year? Pretty much, okay. yeah. So um, again, October 1st, so it's a regional meeting where you'll be able to see the short video that uh, they have pr um, produced for our nominee this year. Thank so. you. And I'll turn to you to see if there's any update on constituent services. Yes, we finally have a date. I believe we have a date October 12th, the day after uh, the um, Education Foundation breakfast. We will be meeting for our first meeting. Um, and so we have a date. Great. Thank you. <laughs> and Mrs. Zila for professional services. Yes. Um, last meeting, we were meeting the day after our board meeting, and we did meet. The committee con consists of Dr. Fulton, Dr. Southwick, Dr. Sumner, and Dr. Atha, Heather Owsley, Patty Mack, and myself. And um, what was brought forth to us, a, a whole lot of research had been done, and a draft um, RFP um, was presented to us at that time. So we all considered that. There were some um, inclusions that we wanted to make in that, and I think they're going back for to um, improve on that draft. That will hopefully, the RFP will be sent out in early October, and this is for our outside council. I didn't say that to start with, but hopefully you would gather that. Um, we did talk about in-house council as well, but there, there will be occasions when we need outside council, so we still need to go ahead and, and select an outside council. When we get back the RFPs, this same committee will review all of those and will bring a recommendation to the board at that time. And we will still, I mean, it doesn't preclude the idea of having in-house counsel, but we will look at that later, um, figuring out how we can make that a cost-neutral type of step, if we can. Right. Thank you. Thank you. And uh, social media, Mrs. Owsley? Um, we have a date. So we are meeting October 22nd, I believe, um, before the board meeting at 5 p.m. And that'll be um, myself and Dr. Sinclair and, and you, in case you didn't have that on your calendar already. Thank you. <laughs> it, it might have been out there on social media that that meeting was taking place, and I didn't see it. We're going we're gonna to get you I'm up to speed. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you all for your work on the behalf of the board. We appreciate that. Um, with that, we'll move on to E, which is public comments, and this is an opportunity for the public to share some thoughts with us, and I'll read a couple of uh, parameters that we have for that. 
Public comment occurs at the regular scheduled board meetings uh, to provide an opportunity for individuals to address the board regarding school district issues. Uh, patrons are encouraged to submit the request in advance. We have two this evening. Um, here are a couple of reminders that I'll share to help uh, speakers with a constructive and positive experience. Um, please proceed to the podium when your name is called and uh, please share your name location or residence, uh, what schools your children may attend if that's applicable, and the name of the organization you're representing. I uh, will ask to limit the remarks to three minutes and that'll be tracked on the board there so you'll be able to see that as well. Um, make sure your comments uh, remain behind the podium and um, if there are any comments pertaining to an item on the meeting's agenda, the board president may ask the superintendent or his designee to address those comments at this time or when it is up for board consideration and discussion later in the meeting. Lastly, um, generally there's no responses from board members to the comments, perhaps might be limited to some clarifying questions. And with that, we have two folks to come share some things with us and uh, Linda Seek. Welcome. Thank you. I think you know me, but for the record, I'm Linda Seek, and I'm here tonight representing my members of NEA Shawnee Mission. I do live in the district. I live in the east area, and I have three uh, children who, thankfully, have not only graduated from high school, but from college. So <laughs> don't plan on having any more children. <laughs> so maybe grandchildren. Um, last Thursday, September 20th, was payday for certified staff in the district, and it was the first payday for this contract year. It was brought to my attention that morning that several district coaches and sponsors were not paid their, con uh, their supplemental contract salary for the first month of the year. They received no communication from the district to explain why they were not paid, and the only way employees learned about this was to examine their paychecks. I met that morning with Dr. Fulton, Dr. Atha, and Mr. Smith to seek a resolution that would expedite the payment to those who did not receive their supplemental. While I appreciate the efforts to resolve this issue, no timeline for payment has yet to be communicated to those affected staff, and this is unacceptable. Teachers and other certified staff depend on the income from these positions. As a result of not receiving the supplemental, individuals may not be able to make scheduled payments, incurring late fees and interest through no fault of their own. Supplemental contracts stipulate that employees will will receive their salary over 12 months. I came to the district in 1992, and for the next 24 years, I had one or more supplemental assignments. I always received the first supplemental salary installment in the September check. If any certified staff member incurs financial difficulty because of this error, NEA Shawnee Mission asks that the Board of Education make them whole. And hopefully this problem will never happen again. Thank you. All right, thank you. And uh, before I turn to the administrative team to see if they want to uh, offer any additional input on that, I'll ask uh, our next speaker to come forward because I believe this person also wants to share some thoughts on the same subject. So Alex Tepfer. Good evening. First of all, thank you very much for allowing me to speak this evening. Um, I do, would like to speak on this topic that, um, that, miss, that Mrs. Seek um, talked about. And I, first of all, I want you to know how much I enjoy working in this district. I love my students. I love the parents. I, this district, as listening to those master teachers before, um, was inspiring. And I'm glad I came tonight. And I'm, I'm glad to have an audience with you. Um, so 
it was very, very disturbing to see with almost zero notice. Um, since, as those of you who may not know, I'm the band director at Shawnee Mission East High School, um, and I receive almost about 20% of my income from my supplemental contract. So when I saw my paycheck on Thursday morning was missing about 20%, um, it was shocking and, and very disruptive to me personally. Um, as a marching and jazz and concert band director, my job is a 12-month 12 12 obligation, um, and my supplemental contract is a 12-month contract. I spend much of June and July planning for the season, working with uh, the calendar, working with vendors, organizing and communication with boosters, assembling and hiring my staff, trips, professional development that I often pay for. Um, during marching band season, such as now, I work about 65 hours a week, um, gladfully, because I love my job and I love what I do. But when I see my paycheck and I see that I'm not being paid for the work that I'm doing, it, it hurts and it, and it affects me personally. I've had to make arrangements uh, without going into too much detail, you know, to pay rent late or to have uh, money that would normally go into an interest-bearing account moved somewhere else and that affects my bottom line and my family. Um, when I found out, you know, it was about this, it was kind of a blow, as I just said, to my finances, but also to my morale as a teacher. Um, I get up every day very early with a smile on my face because I get to work in a district like this with such amazing students. I've been held to a very high level of performance and professionalism in my job, and I expect that from everybody that I work with. Um, I'm having to contact you know, other people, like I said, to make financial arrangements. Um, there have been some other, maybe I'll let administrators talk about the solutions to this, but I was presented that it might be an 11-month contract, which to me um, is not with the agreement that I had as a 12-month contract. I would be missing out on my paycheck from this past month, and then having that split over 11 months would be further uh, disconcerting to me. Um, I did call and talk to Dr. Atha, who was extremely professional and sympathetic and courteous, and I really appreciate his input. Um, and he assures me that there is a plan in motion, um, and that I just wanted to show you personally how this affects me. If we can think about your paycheck, and, and if you're missing 20% all of a sudden, it's it's disturbing. So. Um, again, with all of that, thank you very much for your time. Um, I appreciate it. I enjoy working in this district, and I hope to for many years to come. Thanks. Thank you. We appreciate your service to our district. Thank you for taking the time to speak tonight. With, and, uh, with that, I'll turn to Dr. Fulton for an update. Well, first of all, I want to say to uh, both Linda and Alex, and indeed all teachers who are impacted by this issue, that I apologize that this happened. It shouldn't have occurred, but it did. And we're doing everything we can right now to work with our, our new vendor to make sure that we get this corrected as quickly as possible. We are gonna get communication out. We'd like to have a timeline attached to that so you know when your check is gonna be received. If we had the uh, capacity to cut a check today, we would do it, I assure you of that. The bottom line is something happened that shouldn't have occurred. And we're gonna do everything we can to make sure that not only do we get it corrected as quickly as possible, but that it doesn't happen in the future. So we apologize and thank you for coming to speak tonight. Thank you. 
And thank you again for sharing your comments with us this evening. We appreciate it. Um, with that, we'll move on to item F, which is special presentations. And number one is an overview of the food services program and its evaluation. And I'll turn to Dr. Fulton, who would introduce Dr. Atha. Yes. Well, this is our, our second program evaluation of the year on food service. Dr. Atha is going to do, I think, a brief introduction before handing it off. Good evening. Uh, I'm happy to introduce to you uh, Nancy Kokenauer, who is our Director of Food Service. Nancy is in uh, beginning her 11th year, and uh, she supervises a staff of over 250. And their goal each and every day is to provide the very best meal that they can to, to each of our kids that choose to partake. This evening, uh, she will... Um, provide you an overview of the food service program evaluation, including an executive summary, context, goals, uh, evaluation process, as well as conclusions. And then she'll have a recommendation for you as well. And as you know, uh, this recommendation will have impl impl uh, implications to one of your board policies. So without hesitation, Nancy. Well, thank you all for letting me come this evening and share the great work that we are doing in food service. First of all, I want to thank my staff who get up really early and will be at work tomorrow morning at 5.30, but they are here tonight. So thank you very much. Okay, food service is committed to providing affordable, high-quality, freshly prepared food to all students and staff. We have over 265 employees that are dedicated to the students and we truly care about the students that we serve. As you saw in the report that I provided you, we operate many, many programs with related to food service. We offer breakfast and lunch every day that school is in session. We have 17 of our schools that qualify for the after school free snack or meal program. The principals, I've um, been notified six times, letting them know that their school qualifies. As of today, I have seven schools approved for snacks and two that are in the process of getting approved for the meal program and one school that's contacted me that they'll um, participate in the spring in the snack program. Food service is self-funded. That means we pay all of our own expenses. And this slide shows how our expenses are broken down from the food, the salaries, equipment, supplies, and indirect costs. However, when kitchens are renovated with district monies, we are benefiting from that because the district is helping us pay for all those wonderful new kitchens. And we say thank you from the bottoms of our heart for those kitchens. Our revenues, as shown on this slide, you can see we have 56% um, come from parent grandparent um, revenue, 52% is from the federal government, and 2% is con contributions from the state. You're going to see peaks and valleys in food service um, every year due to expenses. Some that we can plan for, like last year when we implemented our new software and hardware, we planned for that expense. This year I did not plan for as many refrigerators to not be able to be repaired, and you're going to see a request later tonight for um, approval on that. Those are unplanned. So those are my peaks and my valleys. Elementary students have four entree choices every day. They have... Um, 
Six side dishes plus milk and juice. Our middle schools have nine choices every day with um, eight side dishes and milk and juice. And our high schools have 17 to 18 entrees every day plus 11 side dishes and milk and juice. All of our menus are written by Jill Funk, our nutritionist, with the food service employees and student involvement. We sample foods almost on a daily basis to our students. Last year we sampled over 100 items and the year prior was 140 items. We want the students input. Once in a while we'll receive a phone call from a parent or a student, someone that says, you ran out of food today. When we investigate the situation, we find that we, we ran out of one entree choice, not the other 17 choices at the high school. My managers work very, very hard to forecast is the fancy term for guessing what we're going to serve. We're taking into account how many kids are going to be in school that particular day. Are there going to be field trips? Are there going to be classroom parties? What's going to happen? But my magicians, who are right back here, are making it work by truly forecasting what food they need and purchasing that food four to five days prior to when it's on the menu. A new concept we started this year in our high schools is called Build Your Own. It's a takeoff from the Subway Chipotle concept. And on this scenario, this is our Monday menu. The students can select either a hamburger, a veggie burger, or a hot dog. They can then select bacon, guacamole, cheese, or jalapenos to go with their burger, for example. They can add their toppings of romaine lettuce, onion, tomato, or pickles. And then they still get to go to the salad bar with fruits and veggies. So they get to do what they want to do with that build your own. And that's just Monday. On Tuesdays, we do deli sandwiches with roast beef, ham, and chicken. Wednesdays, we have a potato bar with cheese or pulled pork. Thursdays, pasta bar with meatballs and chicken, marinara, and white sauce. And Friday, one of our more popular ones is nachos, beef and chicken, soft shell walking taco. So we're very popular, I think, right now in our high schools. Our goals for this year is truly to fully staff our kitchens on a daily basis. We are working with Cisco, which is our food vendor, to ensure we have all the product that we need every time we place an order. I continue to work with the principals to implement the after-school snack and meal program in all of our eligible schools. We want to ensure a successful opening of Brookwood. That'll be the first time they've ever had their own kitchen. It's very exciting for those students to be able to smell the food cooking in their own school. We're going to successfully prepare and highlight the food service program when the state comes to visit us in December. They'll be visiting Briarwood, Corinth, Overland Park, Shawano, Westridge, and Shawnee Mission North. And then we'll be maintaining our program that breaks even. There's been a lot of national attention on food shaming. We do not feel that we are doing this in Shawnee Mission, but here is an option and a suggestion if you'd like to consider it. To ensure the well-being and nutrition of all our students, a revision to board policy EE food service management is being recommended. Currently, our policy provides middle and, um, excuse me, elementary and middle school students the opportunity to charge up to three meals. High school students are not allowed to charge. Until the charges are repaid, the student receives a toasted cheese sandwich and milk at no cost to the student or the parent. A policy revision would ensure that all students be provided a regular meal, regardless of the balance on their account. 
When the student's account is negative, the parents would be notified. If the charges are not repaid by the end of the school year, the account would be turned over to our collections as reflected in the board policy JS, student fees, fines, and charges. We in food service are committed to working with parents, communicating with them as much as physically possible to ensure their knowledge that they have a negative account balance. Are there questions I can answer? From anybody? I'll turn to the board and with a raise of the hand, we'll acknowledge some questions. Yes, Mrs. Owsley. Um, I had some questions on the, the snack and meal program after uh -huh. school. Mm -hmm. um, if we have 17 schools that qualify and then participation rates at seven for the snack and two for the meal, are there some logistical things making it difficult or unwieldy for principals to sign their schools up or to participate. Um, it seems like if we have an opportunity to get additional food into the hands of kids who don't have food at home, that we would want to do that, but I'm unclear as to where maybe the hiccup is, if there's a hiccup. We are promoting both programs equally, and we leave it up to the principals to make the decision that's best for their building. So I can't speak to why the principals are doing what they are doing. Okay. Do you think we could gather that information to see if there's reasons that the principals don't want to participate? I just... Um, I just want all of them to participate in something right now. Right. Yeah. Well, yeah, because we're yeah. not... But I'm just thinking if that is yeah. the goal is to up our participation, maybe sure. there's something we could identify We that could ask. Is, I mean, do they need more information on the programs or just something to that effect so that we know? Because in my mind, I just can't imagine that there is a principal out there that is saying... Oh, look, here's an opportunity to give some extra food to some kids who need it, and it doesn't cost us anything to do the reimbursement. And here comes Dr. Atha. Maybe Dr. Atha's got an answer. He's hovering behind you. <laughs> I'd like to say I have the answer, but, oh, I, but well. I can tell you that we, we can ask our principals and try to seek out what, whatever they perceive the barriers are in prohibiting them from participating because I think it is a good program and one that that is of great value to our kids and putting more food in their hands either in the form of a snack or a meal but we can get that information and report back to you okay because like if it's in a logistical thing with regards to the education programming that needs to be happening at that time I'm sure we could look into finding a solution for that or all, the programs are exactly the same as far as the requirements they both have to have educational components mm -hmm. and all that so I honestly can't answer that, Heather, why. Okay. Yeah. But right, I can well. sure ask them. Yeah, let's yeah. ask. Thank you yeah, so much. I appreciate it. Mm -hmm. Mrs. Goodburn. I'm not quite sure, Mr. Stratton, if I should be asking these questions now or when we actually talk about the, the revision to the board policy. So Thank I have a question for, about like, the actual board policy, the changes. Yeah. So. so the opportunity, thank you for asking that. The opportunity for this portion of the agenda is to gather as much information as you feel is necessary in order to consider the motion that we'll do. I think it's in M. So I guess it's appropriate yeah, to. Please go ahead and do that. I, I, I just, my only caveat would be that perhaps we as the board don't just debated at this point. This okay. is for clarification and questions. I just Good. had a question about the feasibility of financially, I guess, of, of making this change and where we have maybe our data for the last three to five years. And I know you might not be able to pull that out right now, but just some data on um, like the amount of money that we already are like writing off every single year because we can never collect it. And then where you anticipate it potentially being if we're, you know, this is actually going to, this is going to cost us money. 
And so would you absorb that then into your, because you're self-sustaining in your budget, so, and it's already started in your budget. Um, we have years. some federal guidelines we have to follow, so let me brief you on what those are. Okay. Uh, once um, debt is considered quote-unquote bad debt, then the district has to use non-federal sources to reimburse the food service fund. Food service fund is not allowed to expend that money. Now, in the past, we did because all the toasted cheese and milk that we provided, food service absorbed that cost. And to give you some ideas as far as those dollars, one second. Um, this last year, we had a little over $9,000 that the district had to reimburse because that was our first year from the feds. The year prior, which was 1617, uh, food service absorbed $10,868. And 1516, we absorbed $12,374. And prior to that, we didn't keep track. Okay. That gives us a baseline. So, yes. And yes. So then, so what you're saying though, going forward, if this, if, we, if this goes through, then anything that we go over and above that is going to have to come from somewhere. And the, well, the, and then you have from, to consider, excuse me, Sarah, that was just toasted cheese and milk. You've got to look at the full cost of the meal, right. which the difference is going to be about $2 a meal. Right. Increase. Okay. okay. And then we've had negative account balances, and in the past, those would just roll over to the, parent, um, to the parents and the child to the next year, which was fine. But in the past year or two, we've had a great... Um, patron involvement that would give some donations so we were able to wipe out this last year of all negative account balances for all children so that when they started the next year they started out at zero which was great some years we're not that lucky but this last year we were very lucky and the funding to to balance the, those delinquent accounts the district will have to take that <coughs> from the general fund last year was the first and only year that we took anything out of the general fund and it was about $14,000 because to stay in line with these federal guidelines that Nancy explained to you. So obviously you, you anticipate it going up though. I mean, if, if, if this policy goes into effect, if the change in the policy, it's obviously because you're saying the cost of the meal is $2 additional and so it's, it's going to go up regardless. I, I think so. Uh, I think that the key is going to be vigilance uh, in uh, working with our parents who are not paying and encouraging them to pay throughout the year. Uh, it's certainly not our goal to turn a family over to a collection agency that not only doesn't benefit the family, but it doesn't benefit the district because the district uh, to uh, turn this delinquent account over to a collection agency, it costs us 30% right off the get-go. And then, if it goes to court, it costs us 48% of the delinquent funds. So that means that that 30% and 48% is going to come out of the general fund to balance that. And I remember um, in, in the past, because this said when the student's account is negative, the parents will be notified. I can remember actually getting a few, um, like your lunch account is low. We still uh, do that. Before. Okay, good. Mm -hmm. You're not going to stop, stop no, that we, because and that we've was actually a good added too. with our new software last year um, with Primero Edge, they have a parent portal called School Cafe. And so parents can sign up and use that and they can decide what's their low account quote-unquote, for their family. Um, we also are still continuing with our phone calls that are going out, so we've got a, a double whammy, so to speak, for parents. 
I think it's key that we exert due diligence throughout the year to try to capture, um, try to help parents understand the importance of paying for their children's lunches and doing it in a timely manner. Our current policy that we'll be considering, um, it does reference a, an $8 uh, low account notification. So that sounds like that's the trigger when it goes below $8. That's our current one, yes. Okay, thank you. Dr. Sinclair? Uh, were there other alternatives that you um, were investigating or identified in the process of looking at districts that have changed their policy um, in addition to or an alternative to just turning the families over to collections or looking at? We are doing more than most districts. Okay. Can you articulate kind of um, some of those We do the phone calls and then also having that parent portal. Some districts do nothing. They just okay. let them accumulate. And I honestly don't know what they do after that when they accumulate to a certain level because of this new federal guidance that's come out in the last year or so. Yeah. Okay. And yeah. can you please describe that in a minute or kind of what's the essence of the federal guidelines just for kind of sake of... To paraphrase, and this is truly paraphrasing, um, they, they said something to the effect that food service funds cannot be used for bad debt. And it has to be non-federal funds to be used for that, and that's when we go to the district, and that's when they say go to the district for that monies. Okay. Right. Thank you for that sharing mm -hmm. clarification. Okay. Yes, Reverend Guy. Uh, I just want to clarify that the toasted cheese sandwiches and milk were only being given to students who didn't qualify for free and reduced lunch. Is that correct? For free lunches. For free lunches. If okay. a student was approved for reduced lunch and had zero money in their account, um, and they had charged three times, then we would provide them to those reduced students as well. Okay. Yes. And we do everything in our power to get the word out and to get those applications approved from those families, to get those kids on the program, because we know that's what's going to make them better students, is to have their tummies full. One of the things that triggers those phone calls is when a student <coughs> begins to re receive that toasted cheese sandwich. Nancy's department immediately reaches out to that family to, to see if, if, if they know about the free and redu reduced lunch applications and to make sure they're brought up to speed, uh, although we do advertise it throughout the year. Make sure. Okay. Mrs. Yeah. Zila first. Yeah. I think most of my questions have been answered from other questions that have been asked to you. I guess the financial repercussions to our general fund is a little daunting. We mm -hmm. saw one example that happened out in Denver, and it was mm -hmm. huge. It's the unknown. Yes. yes. And there's no yes. way to forecast, right. as you say, right. or guess what that cost might come to the district. When would, if we change this board policy, when would this go into effect? That That's up to you folks to decide. Okay. Just keep in mind, I'm going to need about a month to make it all happen because federal law dictates, as you know, I'm federally regulated. Um, I have to notify all parents of any change. And we did our notification already for this school year, so I'd have to re-notify, you know, bring the principals, the secretaries, all of them up to speed, and then, of course, my 265 employees. Right. Right. Zosley, then Dr. Sinclair. Um, so is there a way for parents to um, put a check on it if they don't want their kids purchasing a meal yes, so that it doesn't our, go over? That's in our school cafe, which is really cool because they can decide what they want their child to buy. Are they okay with buying lunch? Are they okay with buying a la carte? 
And if they're okay with a la carte, is it every single day or is it Monday, Tuesday, Thursday? And then is there a dollar amount that they'll only let their child purchase a la carte? So the parent has the control. Okay, because I, I have heard from a parent who said that was their concern because the, um, the folks would let her daughter charge more even though she didn't right. want it charged. Right. With our school that cafe, that's, that's what's really been great. Okay. Right? The parents control. Okay. Dr. Sinclair. Um, how many families are we, historically, are we talking about per year on average? For what? Um, for being in the position of debt collection for food services. Well, I can tell you last school year uh, we gave out 10,333 toasted cheese sandwiches and milk. Does that give you an idea? I don't know if that's good. Yeah, it's not by, it's more by meal than It's by meal, because I don't do it by families. By family. I'm sorry. Yeah. Yes, Mrs. Mann. Thank you. Mm -hmm. um, I want to go back to um, cotton on to what Mrs. Owsley started off questioning wise. Um, I, in the materials that you have provided, um, there's a grab and go mm -hmm. at oh an elementary school for breakfast. Mm -hmm. Could you maybe explain that a little bit and if other schools are considering it? That was a grant that we were awarded um, last spring with the concept of trying to attract more kids to eat breakfast, knowing that that would make them better students. And at Neiman, the front door where the kids are dropped off to the cafeteria, we wanted them to think, hey, I can get breakfast. And so they get it right inside the front door. And then it's up to the student whether they take it to the um, cafeteria or if the teacher will allow them to do something in their classroom before school so they can go either place with their, and the grab and go is in a bag. The kid kind of builds the food items into the bag as they walk down the line. Yes. And we're promoting that to other principals and letting them know that's a, a pilot and please talk to us. I've got another elementary school that has taken it and twisted it a little bit, and we're working with them already on that. So, so um, we all know what time high school starts, and it's at 7.40. Would it be feasible to do it at the high school? We do high school what's called second chance breakfast, and I know Rita and Mike are here, and they will tell you they have over 250 kids. They serve in about five minutes at about 9 o'clock in the morning. <laughs> Isn't that right? Uh huh. I'm, I'm up to 300. Okay, there's West at 300. Yeah, so we have what's called second chance breakfast um, to give those kids the option either eating before school or eating between first and second passing periods. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Other questions? Yes, Reverend Guy. Well, I just want to say thank you um, for your presentation and thank you for all of the people who work in food service and keep our kids fed. We are um, very grateful for all the hard work that you do. And we all want the same thing. We all want all of our kids to have the food that they need so that they can learn and, um, and grow and reach their full potential. Right. So um, I think we're going to have an interesting conversation mm -hmm. about this, but, but ultimately we're all seeking the same right. goal right. in the end. Right. And um, I thank you for, mm -hmm. for the work that you You're do. Welcome. I do want you to know if you make an adjustment in your policy, uh, we will exert due diligence all year long and monitor and collect data to be able to report back to you by the end of the year to let you know how things are going, either in a report at a board meeting or in a report to Dr. Fulton that will get to you. Great. I have a couple of real quick questions too. Um, so when we talk about the collection process, which you've, you've outlined uh, very helpfully, and, and secondly, the cost to which collection takes place, can you help with, we have another policy about all different student fees and, and the like. Um, 
Where does the onus sit on the ultimate reporting of this accumulated debt or balance, I should say? Meaning, is it at the school level? Because our current policy on the collection says that the principal or administrator shall report the matter to the business office for consideration. I was just wondering if we're consistent across our schools as to when the balances that are on the system are ultimately, I'll say, turned over or reported. Well, this is more than food service. Uh, obviously, in reference to um, the fees that are owed in food service, it would come through Nancy, the principal would know about it, and then it would be reported to our business office at the end of the year, and then that would start the collection process. The same thing is true relative to lost textbooks or uh, fees that are not paid in, in our schools. We accumulate those and then at the end of the year um, or in a reasonable amount, it's usually always at the end of the year that we turn it over to a collection agency at that time. And is there any uh, stipulation, statute, or guidance on doing it at the semester versus at the end of the year? In reference to food service, uh, in, uh, Nancy had a conversation with KSDE and uh, they re highly recommended that we turn it over to the collection agency at the end of the year and not at the semester because we would have to zero balance out their account at semester if we did so. We'd be back in the same situation at the end of the year possibly. We thought our collections the goal, as I said, is collections and to, for, for parents to, to pay for their children's lunches in a timely manner. We feel like we'll be able to accomplish that better if we let it accumulate over the year and just keep trying. Did I leave anything out, Nancy? Okay. Thank you. Any other board members with questions? Thank you very much for the presentation. Uh, the supporting information was wonderful. It was very helpful. I learned a lot in both reading that and, and seeing the presentation. So thank you for the work that goes in to prepare those presentations. With that. Um, we move on to item H, which is the, uh, I'm sorry, G, which is the approval of routine business by consent. I will so move approval of routine business by consent. Thank second. you, Mrs. Zila, and thank you for the second, Mrs. Goodburn. Anyone would like, uh, would they like to pull anything for individual consideration from the consent agenda? Seeing none, all those in favor of approving the consent agenda, please say aye. 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 Opposed, nay. Thank you to the staff that has a very early morning tomorrow. Thank you for being here. Thank you. We appreciate it. <laughs> Understand why you need to move on. Um, with that, we've approved the consent agenda, which brings us down to item L, which is under business services, L1. And I'll turn to Dr. Fulton for an introduction on item L1, the approval of the validity screening services to see if there's any input on this item. Yes, I'm going to have Dr. Atha come forward. I'm sorry. Thank you. I'm going to have Dr. Atha come forward and give a brief overview and then respond to any questions. Okay, thank you. Um, as you know, I, safety and security uh, is a top priority in this school district and probably every district, but I, I think we, we put a whole new meaning to uh, putting the emphasis on safety for our kids and our teachers and, and our staff overall. Uh, with that said, uh, we have a need to expand our background screening process. Our current system has become unworkable and 
uh, has necessitated that we pursue an alternate system. Chief Douglas and I researched several vendors and determined that Validity Screening Solutions provides more in-depth background uh, search information that will best meet the needs of our district. In addition, this process will be more convenient uh, for our MVP volunteers and employees, more efficient in reducing background screening time. Uh, the turnaround um, uh, validity advertises 42 hours. Uh, and it will also be less expensive to our district. Therefore, it is uh, recommended that the district purchase the services of validity screening solutions at a cost not to exceed $35 per search and $15 per surname. But before taking questions, and I certainly will be glad to answer any question, I would like Chief Douglas to make a comment because he did do a lot of this research. And just to show a little bit the depth of research he did, of the background in this group is out of Overland Park, Kansas. Probably few in this room are familiar with <coughs> Kelly and Associates which is a local agency that's done in-depth investigations, quality investigations for probably the last 30-some plus years. This group uh, is a kind of an offshoot of Kelly and Associates. Uh, it's not affiliated officially, but some of the people who started out with Kelly started this group. Now, Kelly and Associates was started by Clarence Kelly, the number two director of, of the FBI, and he brought with him, when he started this, a lot of the retired agents who worked at this organization and certainly high standards for the way they conduct investigations. While it's not particularly definitive in this particular regard, it is comforting to know that this is a professional group that has done business in a very professional way and has been, been done, uh, utilized by other school districts our size in the metropolitan area. So with that said, we are prepared to answer any questions that you may have. Yes, Dr. Sinclair. Um, Dr. Athek, um, thank you both for that um, information. Could you please describe just what the experience would be like for an MVP? So as opposed to going through the process of coming here and doing the fingerprinting, what would be that process, the experience of? Kind of the screening process. Fingerprinting, uh, the fingerprinting process would be eliminated. Be more, no more need, no need to to take fingerprints. So I'm an MVP. I've signed up at a school. What what would what would be? We need we need your name. We need your date of birth. Uh, we need uh, name, date of birth, social security number. If we have those three pieces of information, they go online and fill out. Information. And they would have to go online to fill out that information. Yes, Mrs. Mack. Dr. Atha, how much is it per search? Again, it is, is um, it depends on what we do. If we do a 10-year search, it would be $33 plus $15 for each surname. If we do a 15-year search, it would be $35 and $15 for each surname. And currently, it costs how much? About $48. Um, here's my question, and, and John, I Step guess you're, up here, you're around Chief, the corner. So I, I, this, I have a hard vantage point here. Um, help me remember, 
I've had um, friends who want to be MVPs, et cetera, and Portash has had lines out the door, Portash and Judy, and they are curious if they have been, if they've had a background check through their company, through other means, and it's not accepted. Can you walk us through again why we don't accept other background checks, please? Well, we don't accept other background checks because we have no quality control nor idea of what the standards are that were used for that or the standards for comparison that were used for that. Uh, all background, first of all, this is not really a background check. This is a records check, and they're not created equal. Uh, this records check is, is, has been traditionally done by fingerprints through the KBI. We'll be able to do it a, a separate way but shouldn't be confused with a real background check. For example, my top securities background check took two months and 50 some pages of documentation. So it's much different than that and it's much at a much smaller vetting level. And how does this differ from when someone goes to the school and is the Raptor? Raptor is even less of a vetting in as much as Raptor will vet against the um, uh, sexual offenders list. Some states also include homicide or major drug violations, but the scope of what they're looking to compare against would be much less limited or be much more limited than what we would look at. And even that, we're only looking at, at significant convictions of crimes that would be germane, for example, crimes of violence, significant narcotics, things like that. And it, is this recommendation coming from safety and security? Is it coming through the it's coming through safety and security? It's, it's part of uh, a comprehensive program of safety okay. that we're promoting in the district. Okay, and it's, it's also associated with our HR program as well. Thank you. Um, and I do want you to know we we are expanding the search. Our current search was pretty much in the state of Kansas, other than the sex predator piece of it. Uh, but now it will cover both Missouri and six counties in Missouri and in Kansas. So we're going to widen the breadth of the certs a little bit more. Reverend Guy. So right now the current system we're using, uh, there's a requirement of an in-person training meeting that people must attend. Is there any in-person requirement for this or is it 100% online? Two separate things. The training is all of the information concerning HIPAA and FERPA and all of those laws, but, but they're not covered any other place. So that doesn't change, although there may be at, in the future some mechanism to get it. This covers the records check piece of that. So they would still need to show up in person to get all the information? The As training. it stands now for okay. that part, yes. <laughs> to give you an idea of how backed up we are with our MVPs, we're about 500. So, and um, that's one of the reasons for bringing this recommendation to you this evening is that we're inconveniencing mm -hmm. um, our volunteers, mm -hmm. we're inconveniencing our employees, and. You know, these people are volunteering, mm -hmm. and and 99.9% .9 of them are great people that have a great background, and I think we owe them to step it up a little bit and do our due diligence here to to expedite this so we can get these volunteers working with our kids. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
Mrs. Housley. So everybody who's already gone through the training right now does not need to then do this. The Those who did the fingerprinting and the check for the last six weeks who've had to sit through the lines, they don't need to do anything else. This is just moving forward to make the process just as safe as it was before, but more efficient. Is that? It makes it as, as safe, if not a little more safe. It makes it more efficient. It needs to be repeated about every three years because you're only getting a snapshot in time and people change and do different things over time, even short periods of time. But for three years, if they went last week, they should not have to repeat it again for three years. Yeah. And they don't need to repeat the training, they would just need to repeat the submission of the information online? Yes. So to all the folks who had to sit in line for a significant period of time, we offer our sincerest heartfelt apologies mm -hmm. for that inconvenience. Yeah, and I want it understood right. if, if, if you a, approve um, the purchasing of this uh, um, software uh, and service, um, we're going to have a meeting. We've got a meeting scheduled Thursday of this week to work out a lot of the logistics with HR, with uh, Chief Douglas and his team, and and uh, decide whether the searches are going to go back seven years, ten years, or fifteen years. But what you're approving this evening would uh, purchase the 15-year search. Can I ask one more question? Yes, go ahead. There's a distinction between being you know, a regular volunteer and an MVP volunteer. And an MVP volunteer, it's my understanding, the distinction is that person actually has supervisory control over students, potentially in a one-on-one -on -one capacity, so that this is not someone who's coming to have lunch with their kid at school. This isn't somebody who's coming up for a classroom party. This is someone, in my mind, I'm thinking of like in second grade, they go to the zoo. And there's a parent with the second grade class that has like six of those kids and they go to the various parts of the zoo and they're with those kids one-on-one. -on -one. That person's an MVP and they have to do this check because they have supervisory control over children. Is that correct? Am I understanding that distinction right? Or is there a different distinction? No, you're absolutely correct. Uh, People who come in for a party are actually not even vetted because we come in as a big group and everyone is there. Those who come in individually to have lunch with their children but would be accessible to other people's children would go through Raptor. Those who have one-on-one -on -one supervisory contact, and that doesn't take much if a parent is there and three or four parents are on a field trip and some child needs to be chaperoned going to the restroom or other places, that person would be vetted by this procedure. So this is like chat and chew or um, watchdog dads or um, like the, the zoo field trip, that, that distinction is clear for folks who don't want to have to go through this process but still want to be able to participate with their kids. Under those guidelines I just mentioned, one-on-one yeah. -on -one supervision is the ultimate triggering point for that particular part. Thank you, Chief. Anyone else have any questions? Thank you very much for the background on this item and for the work you put in to uh, bring this new solution to us. With that, uh, I'll seek a motion to approve. Move approval of validity screening solutions. Thank Second. you, Mrs. Mack. Thank you, Mrs. Zila. All those in favor, please say aye. Aye. Opposed, nay. That passes 7-0. And with that, we move on to item M, and it's the board member action. And um, this is the uh, food service management uh, discussion. This uh, relates to the earlier conversation. We've been provided um, 
the current policy, which is level, labeled EE, and there are some um, lines that have been essentially deleted from this policy for our consideration. Uh, this is the first time that uh, several board members have seen it other than um, in our packets beginning, I believe, Wednesday or Thursday. So I, I initially asked that this might serve as a first reading so that we can make sure we answer all questions as well as get the information vetted. We were provided quite a bit of information here and many questions were answered not only uh, in advance through some emails and phone calls but additionally at the board table here. But uh, I'll turn to the board now for um, additional commentary and or questions about the proposed changes to uh, policy EE. Mrs. Mack. Um, I just have an overall question, because I, I believe there were discussions that if we choose to do this, that it could be a pilot program. And if, if it is a pilot program, um, does that mean we have to do a policy change? I would recommend a policy change simply because policy guides our behavior. Mm -hmm. And so it would, be a, it would be important for us to have policy that supports uh, our practice, whether that practice is uh, one standard or if uh, it allowed some sort of a pilot like this. So if we choose to do this as a pilot program, I just want to make sure I'm clear. If we choose to do this as a pilot program, it means we're actually just changing the policy and we're doing it. Or we're going to look at it again. If I can in offer, a year. and yeah, that is Thank that uh, we would consider a policy change, and then we'd let the minutes reflect that at the point of this decision being made, we'd like to revisit within 12 months to right. see the results of the change. Thank you. Yes, Mrs. Zila. Just had a question on the changes that were made to the policy. Did Mrs. Kokenauer have some input with that? Thank you. <laughs> yes. Yes, additional questions. And I might give a clarifying piece as well that uh, I had uh, thrown out for consideration a couple of additional language pieces. I'm, I've rescinded any of those uh, because they've been answered by the presentation today. Mrs. Goodburn. I was wondering if there was any kind of middle ground uh, maybe uh, that, that we had thought about, like maybe not going completely um, this direction, but maybe expanding like the high school students are allowed to have a certain amount of leeway like right now they don't have any leeway I don't believe that they once their account balance goes negative they they immediately are they get the toasted cheese sandwich and the alternate meal and I know the elementary students I guess they can charge three and middle schools can charge one can we just could we just expand that to give a little bit more time before, and then, then it triggers into the, the calls from the district, the calls from food service or whoever. I just wondered if there was some middle ground in there uh, between this and not and not not doing it at all. See what I mean? I'm just. I guess I'm concerned fiscally about this. When I read, especially the article about Denver, going from I think it was like twelve thousand or fourteen thousand. It was a, a, a smaller amount, kind of similar to what we had. To what was it over three hundred thousand dollars in plus. one year, and that I'm thinking to myself, my gosh, how? And that this is coming out of our general fund, so that's teachers, that's class. I mean, that's that's money that we're just. I, and I understand, believe me, I get it. I mean, kids need to eat, kids need to eat. But is there some middle ground? Was there some middle ground considered? Well, there certainly is always middle ground that could be created on something like this. You know, that you don't have to run with absolutes. Um, the second thing is, is that in looking at the Denver case study, 
Uh, we certainly looked at what impact this change in policy might have on our financial bottom line. We don't think it's going to have the impact that it did in Denver. However, you have to be cautious and carefully monitor uh, where our financials are with respect to implementing this policy. But certainly there is some middle ground that could be created. Well, especially because we're mid-year. I mean, we're, I mean, my school started a couple months ago, but we'll start, the budget's done, everything's done, everything's spent. You know, it's not like we just have, you know, just, let's just say $200,000 sitting under a, you know, sitting somewhere that could be put towards this program. So I don't know. I just wondered if, if we could do something. That's my only thought. Well, and, and that's part of the reason that uh, I asked that it be a first reading so that we can take input and then um, perhaps the uh, staff could put together some follow-up uh, information and uh, perhaps uh, commentary or suggestions to board members as they have questions or concerns. That's what this period's for. And I'll turn to Dr. Sinclair and then Reverend Guy. Okay, so the, so if I had thoughts or suggestions, it's more about follow-up in an email, or are we kind of discussing now? I would, I would suggest we discuss this now in order to get a feel for what the questions might be. Um, although we already had our, our, our presentation, okay. if there's something that could be answered that uh, either of our staff members would want to answer as well, that might be helpful. Go ahead. So in, a, in initial conversations, was what's the feasibility of... Um, capping potential expenditures at a do not exceed kind of amount so that if there's a continuous monitoring of how, where we're at in terms of, of um, going over on the food budget, is there a possibility of saying, okay, we're gonna execute this, we're gonna move forward with this pilot, but once our collections hit, or that kind of dollar amount, not necessarily collections, but that dollar amount hits X, then we will, um, go back to some other mode, maybe not toasted cheese sandwiches, but some other kind of strategy, I don't know. I think the answer to that is yes, but I'll have Dr. Aitha. Yeah, I think, I think we can do most anything that the board sure. desires. Just, and uh, curious what but, was discussed. But, but with that said, I, I think, uh, uh, as I told you earlier, we're, we're going to monitor this, mm -hmm. and we have the capability to monitor this and know exactly how much this is going to affect the district's bottom line. And that's going to build throughout the year. We're also going to have people step up and pay their bills. Mm -hmm. I, I, I believe that. I think if people understand um, that uh, understand more of the processes and understand that this ultimately could get turned over to a collection agency. Uh, and again, that's not our desire. We lose on that as a district and families lose on that in many ways if they're turned over to a collection agency. Mm -hmm. So I tend to think most families will, will step up when we draw this out to, to a level where, where they need to. But we can find common ground to, to meet your needs. If Thank you. I think the issue we're trying to address in making this change is um, the behavior of the parents. The, the parents are not keeping enough money in the account for the child. And again, these are not families that are on free lunches. Um, but if the parents aren't putting enough money in the account, we've always had the policy that eventually it gets turned over to a collection agency. So that's not new. This is not a new thing we're doing. The, the change here is what, how do we treat the child? 
when the parent has not put enough money in the account. And right now, we are treating the child differently from the other children in the lunch line. And to me, that appears that we're using that child as a leverage to try to get the parents to put money in. And that's what troubles me. And that's why I think um, that a child deserves a full lunch so the child has enough food in his or her stomach to learn for the rest of the afternoon. A toasted cheese sandwich and a milk is not going to fill up a high school student or a middle school student or even probably a fourth grader um, to have the fuel they need for the rest of that school day. And so I prefer for us to deal with the parents because it's, it's the parents who are the ones um, who are not contributing the way we feel they're able to financially um, and that the child should just be given a full lunch so that they can learn for the rest of the day. Okay, Mrs. Mack. Thank you for that. Um, I just wanted to follow up on what you said um, in, in looking into this a little bit is that um, I believe you told me that the most effective way for to get parents to pay is has been done at the building level. Is that correct? Where the principal makes a person or another person in the building calls? Yeah, it's, it's not only food service that's making the connection with the parent. It's also the principal, it may be social workers, it may be a variety of folks that may be making a contact with a parent or letting us know, letting us know, for instance, this child might qualify, family might qualify right. for free lunch or reduced lunch. And that was the point I wanted to get at, was that could also help the family overall because sometimes it's just a matter of paperwork or it's a language barrier, et cetera, correct? Could be. Could be a variety of things. Thank you. Other questions, thoughts, commentary as we consider this first reading? I appreciate having the conversation. Okay. Anyone else? Last call? All right, with that, uh, we've, got, we've provided some input to the administrative team for consideration. We will have a draft perhaps updated for our second uh, reading, which would be at the October 8th meeting. Yes, oh, this is Alice. Go ahead. Sorry, I almost forgot to ask this. Um, it was mentioned to me that it would be convenient if parents could just leave a credit card on file with food services so that like a monthly charge could be made to the credit card. I have no idea what the logistics of that are or they the can do that through e-funds. Well, I know you can go in and charge through e-funds. I think they can set it up as a recurring of payment. I think they can do that. That's how all of our payment comes in through credit card is through e-funds. Right. And I mean, I pay I pay monthly for my kids, but I always have to go in and do it. And so if they're... I've, I've had parents tell me they have set it up and they, whoops, forgot to unset it after their kid graduated. <laughs> that's right. That's how okay. we can pay. So, that is, so that's useful information for people to have, too, yes. is to go in and put your card number in. Yes. Now, will that card be charged if there's an overage, if we have that card available? Well, if they set it up to, as the way I understand e-funds, and I'm not the expert, but the way I understand it is if they set it up, they want $10 every month, it's going to happen $10 every month until the parent goes in and stops. But it won't go over that amount. What I'm, so, like, if there's, if there's an overage, it's not going to automatically charge the no, parents. No, it'll only amount. go with what the parent has indicated they wanted. Okay. And we do refund balances at the end of the school year. Like if our 
a child, I remember getting one, a check, a random check in the mail for, I don't know what it um, was. Seniors, we, we referred Se seniors. Yeah, they graduated. All of a sudden, I got this random check for like $25, and it was his lunch account. And that's what account. helped us this last year. We had a lot of senior parents say, no, we don't have any siblings. Just keep the money and use it for other kids. And so that really helped us pay off the negative account balances this year. But so if a parent does not want their child to be able to receive the food because they do not want to have a debt collection, do they have the ability to go in there and say, in school cafe, they can do write, not give do this not food to my, my child. child. Yes. Do not feed my child. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay. And that does bring up the one question that I had through this whole process. Is there any way that that notification could be known at the front end of the food line as opposed to the back end of the food line? So when a student begins filling the tray, they may or may not know that they've hit that provision till they get to the end. That gets into the logistic nightmare of federal regulations. Okay. Years and years ago, we used to have cashiers at the beginning of the line. But now, because we have to monitor everything that's on that tray to make sure they have all the parts and pieces, you have to be there to make sure it's all there. Is there a way to do a, a quick check at the front end? Um, you know, swipe a card, yeah, you've got a certain amount on the card, proceed. Um, elementaries, it's easier because we run what's called a negative account balance and we run it by classroom and most all of my employees know all the kids so they, they do that very easily and seamlessly in elementary. Middles and highs, it's almost impossible because mm -hmm. there's just, we've got, well at Shawnee Mission West we've got eight cashiers and you don't know which line the kid's going to go through today or tomorrow or whatever. And remind me, um, the elementary students typically aren't handling their own cards we don't do cards anymore, I'm sorry. Okay. They have to enter their own ID numbers in a pin Thank pad. You. Thank you, and that's all the way up through 12. Uh -huh. And if they have, whoops, I don't have my ID badge on. If they have an ID badge on in middle and high, we scan those as well, either way. Thank you, so, so going back, well, maybe you answered it was the code and not a card. Thank right. you. Right. Anyone else? Thank you for that conversation. We will consider it at the next meeting. Um, with that, we move to item N, which is the reports to the board, and we have the financial report. The financial report has been provided in your packet. Uh, any, any questions for Mr. Knapp and his team regarding the financials for the month? Yes, Dr. Sinclair. My standing question, are there any anomalies or um, in the financials? No, not at no. this point. This is only goes through August 31st. Okay. Thank you. Great. Anyone else with questions about the financial report? Next is the uh, item O, which is board comments. I'll turn to the board for any comments they might want to share. Yes, Mrs. Mack. Uh, Mr. Stratton, you already addressed this, but I just want to say thank you to Mrs. Kogenauer and Dr. Atha for your exceptional work and presentation this evening. Thank you. Anyone else? Board comments? Yes, Mrs. Owsley. I would just uh, like to invite any of the principals with regards to the supper or snack program to reach out and let us know what might be causing them to not want to participate so that we can address that if there's a, if there's a way to up that participation. Um, and that's, that's it. Anyone else? Well, as we've already talked about on the calendar, a couple of other events that are on the agenda. I'll highlight the foundation breakfast again on October 11th. This will be Dr. Fulton's first breakfast. He's concerned no one will show. I, um, <laughs> I've assured him that the room will be full, but we'd like everyone to, uh, to attend if possible. And uh, with that, I'll turn to Mrs. Owsley for a motion. Mr. President, I move we go into executive session after the board meeting so as to discuss litigation pursuant to the exception for matters which would be deemed privileged in the attorney-client attorney relationship under COMA. Um, 
I would assume we have five minutes before we go into executive session, and do we need 30 minutes? So we would resume at um, 8.10? Why don't we do 8.15? 8.15. And then no further business would be conducted following the executive session. Second. Thank you, Mrs. Zila, for the second. All those in favor, please say aye. 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 Opposed, nay. And thank you for attending today. There will be no uh, business, as was stated, after the executive session. We appreciate you being with us tonight.